Last Wash by Alice Madison. Well, the worst thing, I said, sitting up in bed on one elbow, still naked and damp, was when my goldfish died. I substituted my dead goldfish for my sister's live goldfish. That's bad, Tom. I'd have thought for a while. They had separate bowls, but they looked alike? Right. We were in bed on a Saturday morning. I'd stayed over. We woke up, had coffee, and went back to bed. So what was the worst thing you ever did, I said. That was bad, letting your sister think her fish died. She lay on her back with her blonde hair spread out and the red blanket up to her neck. I said it was the worst thing. Did she ever find out? I can't remember. What was the worst thing for you? One thing I must do today is my laundry. She said. But what was it? I fucked a student's father said Ida. Ida is a high school teacher. As a matter of fact, she was my teacher at one point, some time ago. She's six years older than I am. I didn't know what to say. You did? I said. Yes. You had sex with a student's father. I was cold, and I pulled the edge of the blanket around me. That pulled it off Ida, and I looked at her breasts and belly. She is fat and lovely. I fucked, slight pause, a student's father. I wanted to undo the last minute and let her change the subject. I remembered the year I was in her class. I pictured my dad going up on the report card night, hat in hand. He doesn't wear a hat, but the situation seemed hat in handish. Waiting in line, then bending over the desk to confer with Ida about my B+, then kneeling, while removing his jacket and spreading it out and stretching out on the classroom floor to make love to her as she slid off her chair. Ida. It wasn't my father. She laughed. She laughed. <laughs> no, dummy, it wasn't your father. It wasn't that year. I stood up. How could you do that? I put on my shorts, turning away from her. She laughed again. Don't, I said. And then I cried. I hadn't cried since my grandmother died, and I hated the sound I made, a silly ooing. I cried standing up without putting my hands on my face. She hurried out of bed. Tom, sweetie, I'm sorry. But I was angry, and soon she was angry too. What is this? We were just talking. She said. Some kid, I said. Some kid sitting there in your class... She got back into bed and pulled the blanket over herself, as if she were going back to sleep. Stop being stupid, she said. I don't know why it bothers me so much, I said. I'm a decent person, she said and vaulted out of bed, a flash of her large, naked breast, her wonderful buttocks, and walked to the shower. The blanket dragged on the floor and she yanked it around herself. It was cold, January. And in Ida's house, the wind blew in and around the old window frames and between the frames and the old glass. It would be simple to replace those windows with nice, tight, well-made ones. I'm a carpenter. I renovate old houses. I stood there in my shorts, freezing, and looked through the wavery glass at a fence in a yard next door. Ida didn't come straight into the bedroom after her shower. 
and I heard her talking to her roommate, Kitty. Kitty is also a teacher. She is newer, and was never my teacher. I said to the bare tree outside, Did I hear you inquire what they were talking about? They're planning the next meeting of the teacher's sex ring. I put on my pants. They're working out the agenda. I went to the bathroom, now that Ida wasn't in it. On the way, I heard her say, Basically, maybe. I didn't like that. Someone in a good mood would say it, and she was wrapped in that red blanket like a kid playing Indians. In the shower, I accused myself of being young and naive. Ida was older than I am, and so naturally she had gone to bed with more people. Maybe she just knew that sometimes workmen bring a bed to your classroom, or the UPS man delivers you in a brown van to the house of your student, where no one is home but his dad. No, I assured myself. Maybe I feel naive compared to Ida, just because I wasn't around when interesting things she remembers happened. Men walking on the moon or whatever I just missed. I was actually around for men walking on the moon, but too young to remember it. But I'm not naive. I'm simply a nice guy. I dried off with Ida's red towel, got dressed, and found Ida in the kitchen, also dressed, cooking an omelet for us, which was friendly. Kitty sat at the table eating an apple. She had been out shoveling snow in front of the house, and Ida had felt bad when we went back to the bed with our coffee instead of hurrying to help her. They only rented, but nobody else shoveled, and it had snowed over and over again. Now Ida was promising that we'd finish shoveling the snow. Kitty was tired, and her boyfriend, Martin, was coming for her, so they could do something with friends of his. Kitty thought the friends might not be interesting. Just because he himself is boring, Ida said, doesn't mean his friends are boring. Kitty pretended she was going to throw the apple at Ida, but this was old talk between them, and I knew Ida liked Kitty's boyfriend. I thought he was unusual. I wouldn't say boring. I'm not in favor of anybody being described that way. Martin's a big, hairy, sleepy guy. I've been sitting halfway down the block for half an hour, he said, yawning when he arrived. The car in front of me got stuck partway out of a parking space, and I couldn't go around it. You didn't help dig it out? Said Kitty. The lady wouldn't let me, he said. She said thank you, but God would do it. And did God do it? At last. Now that wouldn't have happened to anyone but Martin. Ida and I put on our boots and went out to shovel after Kitty and Martin left. We had to dig out the porch steps, a little walk between the porch and the sidewalk and the sidewalk in the front of the house. They had a lousy shovel with bent corners and a fairly solid hoe for chopping ice. It was a tremendously cold day. It had been cold all week, and I thought we couldn't do much. Kitty had shoveled a little piece of the sidewalk, which nobody was walking on anyway, because so much of the block hadn't been touched. People were walking in the middle of the street. Ida took the hoe and I took the shovel, which I used to chop ice, I started on the steps while she went to the sidewalk. I chopped and chopped, and every so often there was enough broken ice to scoop up. After a while, I got tired of that and began shoveling fast down the walk. It was quiet on the street. A man and a woman walked by on the sidewalk, and Ida straightened up, puffing and red-faced to let them go. She went back to chopping. Her rhythm seemed to say, no, 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 no. She was behind me. 
I was tossing snow over my shoulder, happy, or happier, because I was good at it. When I turned to watch her, she looked great, in her blue jacket with a hood and some of her hair coming out, and that hoe, which she held in both mittens and banged up and down. But then she stopped abruptly and carried the hoe past me and toward the house. Never mind, she said as she came along. Never mind what? Don't bother doing any more. Thanks, but never mind. It's too hard. But I was doing fine. I had cleared a path the width of one shovel, and I was wondering whether I couldn't widen it. I was looking forward to the sidewalk. I was warm now. But look how much I did, I said. I can see it, she said. I don't want to wear myself out with this. I have to read a stack of tests, and I have to do my laundry. She went into the house. I didn't want to go with her. I wouldn't have enjoyed shoveling at my parents' house, where I lived, but this was different. I was liberating Kitty and Ida to meet the community, as if they couldn't leave unless I shoveled a path. Ida would walk out into the world, good now. I went into the house much later, too late. I had made a path two shovels wide, both on the sidewalk and the walk, but my back hurt, and I was cold deep inside myself. Ida looked up from the test she was marking and said, That was childish. I wanted to do it, I said. You have a mechanical soul, Tom, she said. Now I see why you're a carpenter. You like achievements that can be lined up and counted. I bet before you quit work every day you count how many goddamn screws you put in. Not as many screws as you, apparently, I said. I said it because my feet were heavy with cold. Ida stood, and the papers in her lap fell down, though she grabbed at them. She came toward me, and I saw she was too angry to speak. Her face was ugly with it, and that was something I never thought I would think. She walked past me into the kitchen and began making coffee. She knew I hardly ever drink coffee, but I wanted something hot so badly, coffee would be fine. Except that it made me additionally angry. She probably drunk coffee with her married lover at cute little coffee houses. Maybe at least he was divorced. Was he divorced? I said. I don't know why I should talk to you about it. She said. Do you think I did wrong on purpose? You went to bed with the father of a student by mistake. I didn't know who he was. You didn't meet him on report card night? I guess the mother came up. I tried to remember whether my mother or my father would have gone up. When I realized... She said... I knew I had known all along, but I didn't know I knew. That just doesn't make sense, Ida. Well, sorry... She said. She poured milk in her coffee and put the container back in the refrigerator so I had to go get it for myself. I felt awful about everything. I ordinarily like winter, but right then I hated the cold and snow. There were great things I could have done on a Saturday in January. I could have gone cross-country skiing. A friend of mine had said it wasn't hard and we could rent skis at a store nearby and ski in a park or on a golf course. If I hadn't been sitting there, I pointed out to myself, I'd have been cross-country skiing. Outside, a dog walked by. 
The fences between the backyards weren't tight, and he was ambling from yard to yard, over one fence with the help of a snowdrift, through a gap in the next. Ida and I both loved dogs, and for a minute we almost made up, talking about him, but then we had another fight. We argued about whether dogs are A, a nuisance but worth it, which was my position, or B, not a nuisance at all, which is what Ida said. People who don't appreciate dogs have little minds, she said. I love dogs, I insisted. What would happen if we lived together or got married? Ida was so sure dogs have no faults. I began to think she'd want four or five dogs. To me, children are faultless. Children are perfect. I decided, then and there, that I wanted four or five children. Ida would want to substitute dogs for my children. Now was the time of day I'd absolutely intended to leave. It was getting dark. My parents were having company, and I'd promised to show up and say hello. And Ida had to go to the laundromat. It would have been smart to leave, but I couldn't. I wanted to fix things. When Ida walked past me to get her laundry together and came back into the room, stuffing the sheet we'd slept on into a laundry bag, and then leaned on the sink watching me drink the last of my coffee, she looked farther away than usual. Once, my boss and I put kitchen cabinets where a lady's coat closet had been, and she said that corner is where she stared when she talked on the phone. Now while I talk, I'm thinking of pots instead of coats, she said. Cooking instead of going. Carpenters had apparently come through Ida's kitchen and widened it. Everything in the room looked dangerous. I never noticed how many knives she and Kitty had. I didn't leave, and it took Ida so long to get her laundry together while fighting with me, about sex, about dogs, about everything, that we got hungry. Eventually we had a pizza delivered, which took longer than we expected. But we couldn't leave to do the laundry once we'd ordered the pizza. It took a long time to eat it, too. Ida was afraid we wouldn't make it to the laundromat on time. She said there was a sign on the door. Last wash, 8.50 p.m. And both our cars were socked in with snow. The plow had come through and buried mine, but it was less buried than Ida's, so when we finally did get moving, we took mine. At some point, it became clear that we were both going to the laundromat, if only to finish the various arguments. I'd probably miss my parents' visitors anyway. My car required only minor digging. I shoveled it out while Ida put her bag of laundry in the back seat and then remembered her detergent. His wife walked by while we were shoveling, said Ida, as we finally drove away over the hard, bumpy snow. The big old turquoise bag she always carried was between us, and she'd stuck her box of detergent into it. Whose wife? The man... My old lover. You recognized her? That's why I got so upset with you for shoveling. She walked by with another man. Maybe she's cheating on Parker. Who's Parker? My lover. I hated her saying that. Twice. And so I blew it. I didn't let her make up with me. I should have said, Oh, baby, and hugged her. That was his name? Parker, I said instead. Forget it, please. His poor kids, I said. How many kids? Will you stop it? I drove around a corner, carefully because it was a narrow street with a lot of snow wedged up against the curb, and I didn't want to get stuck. 
And then, all of a sudden, somebody was dancing in front of my car. A happy hitchhiker. A guy my age in a hooded sweatshirt. No coat in that weather. Leaping and waving a shovel to me as if flagging me down was a terrific joke. As if he knew me. As if he were my brother. I just have one sister. He had straight dark hair over his face and wasn't very big. I'm not big either. And I stopped the car where I was. One thing about a heavy snow, everybody stops cars anytime they want, and nobody crashes into you. I jumped out to hear what he wanted, as if he might say, I'm your new brother. God decided you needed a brother. Which I did. Which I did. He touched me on the arm, smiling. He had a long nose and a pointed face. I gotta get this car out, he said, waving the shovel. You gonna help me get this car out? I looked. There was a little old car, deep in the snow, as if it hadn't been used all week. Why, do you need a ride? I could take you somewhere, I said. Soon as I take my girlfriend to the laundromat. I mean, if it's an emergency, I guess I thought that you wouldn't just stop someone if it wasn't an emergency. I was even thinking that if it was a serious emergency, I might have to take him to the hospital or something and forget the laundromat. But he looked fine. He didn't need a ride to the hospital. No, I don't need the car until later. You just gotta help me dig it out. He said. Then I thought maybe I did know him. And I hadn't recognized him. You might say what he'd said to a friend. Maybe an acquaintance. Maybe he knew me, or even knew my car. Maybe we'd gone to high school together. Or played softball together. I have to drive Ida to the laundromat, I said. They have last wash. Fuck, man. I've been digging for so long. His car looked sweet and helpless, tucked away there. You stopped me because you just couldn't stand digging alone anymore, I said. Right, right. What's going on? It was Ida, getting out of the car. She looked at the guy. She didn't seem to know him. He needs help, I said. A ride? I just need somebody to help dig or push while I start the car, he said. I could do that, I said. I'd stopped to help people dig out a couple of times in the last weeks, and people had stopped to help me. Tom, I know this is of no interest, but the laundromat... Could you just take my car to the laundromat, I said to Ida. I can walk from here, after I get him dug out. I'm Tom, I said to him. Hey, Tom. Denny. Glad to meet you, Denny. I figured I'd better not say, this is Ida. All right, said Ida. I'll drive him, I'll drive him. Denny called to her. We were five or six blocks from the place. It was cold. Ida got into my car. I was standing in front of it, and I stared at her through the window. She moved a little closer to me, but it was just because she was moving to the seat forward to reach the pedals. She looked exasperated and reset the rearview mirror, and the side mirrors as carefully as if she were driving a hundred miles away from me. She drove slowly down the bumpy street. Denny and I started to dig. I didn't mind. At last I was away from the fight with Ida. I was good at digging, unlike fighting. Denny hadn't accomplished much even though he'd worn himself out. He had shoveled in the wrong places, making a lane for the car to go straight out. I thought it would be easier if we turned the wheels and drove out at an angle. No, he said. It definitely wouldn't. He couldn't stop talking to me while I dug, talking about his girlfriend, whom he was going to visit, if he ever got the car out. A very cool lady, he said. She's cooking a fine soup for me. 
It's almost done. I don't want it to get overdone. I don't think you can overcook soup, I said. Of course you can. Overdone soup. Yuck. It irritated me that even though I was helping him, he kept contradicting me. But I liked him, too. Maybe just for being so bold. He next told me he could make more of a contribution if he sat in the car and tried to drive it instead of shoveling, which was nonsense. He said the wheels would push the snow a little at a time. He demonstrated, but of course the wheels spun. They were spinning, I said when he got out. They appeared to be spinning, said Denny. I decided he was a nut, or on something, but at least he was cheerful. You live here, I said, pointing to the nearest house. Nah, I wouldn't live here he said. I'm staying with friends a couple blocks down. I parked here because somebody had just dug the space out. Boy, was he mad, but then it snowed on me all week. You drove in when he drove out? I had tempted to do that, but some of the old men in my neighborhood acted as if they owned the spaces once they dug them out. They'd put up string barriers or leave a chair in the middle of the space. Finally, we moved the car a few inches. I was tired. I'd done a lot of shoveling. I got Denny to dig while I drove, and I rocked the car, moving it slightly back and forth, and made a little progress that way. At last, I drove the car into the street, and Denny jumped into the passenger seat, shaking his head in wonder as if we'd dug up Troy. Hey, man, you are one hell of a guy, and I am one hell of a guy. I started to get out, but he said I should drive to the laundromat. I figured by now Ida would be almost ready to put the clothes in the dryer. We drove a couple of blocks, and he suddenly said, No, wait, wait. Turn down here. And obediently, before I thought, I made the turn. I want to show you something, he said. I really got to show you something. This is something all my friends got to see. I was afraid he meant drugs, and I said, I'd rather just go to the laundromat, if you don't mind. I thought I'd make another turn and circle around to the street we'd been on. No, wait a minute. I don't mean nothing bad. Listen, man. I know you're not that kind. I'm not going to get you in trouble. The next cross street, the one that would start to take me back where I'd begun, looked so choked with snow I wasn't sure we could make it, and there was no possibility of a U-turn on the street we were on, which was one of those narrow old streets lined with three-story houses. It hadn't been plowed much. So I kept going, figuring I could wait in the car while he went in wherever it was. He took me a lot further out of my way than I wanted to go, maybe eight blocks, and I didn't know what to do next. We were coming to a large intersection, and I figured I would make the turn there. But just before it, Denny yelled, Stops here, Tom. Stop here. And then I went into the house with him. Reasons? I was freezing. I was curious. I was so upset about Ida, I'd have gone anywhere with anybody. And it was too far to walk back to the laundromat in the cold. Also, though I knew Denny wasn't some harmless potential buddy of mine, I thought I also knew he was where he was coming. He looked basically civilized, under all the craziness and street smarts, as if he had regular parents somewhere. His teeth were good. I could see when he smiled that he had no missing teeth. Teeth is the key, I've been told. I wouldn't have gone up those mildly cabbagey, narrow, wooden stairs with a guy who had big gaps in his teeth. Is this where you live, I said? Almost, but not exactly. Is this the house a couple of blocks from the parking space? Of course not, said Denny. This is no couple of blocks. Denny seemed to have a key, 
or he knew where they hid the key, even if he didn't exactly live there. He was scrambling around in the dark when he opened the door. Is this where your girlfriend lives? I said. Nah, she lives in a much nicer place than this, he said. She lives in the country, like my grandma. Your grandmother lives in the country? A million birds, he said. In the apartment, which was dirty but all right, not too different from places I'd lived in, was what he wanted me to see. And it was a pile of dolls on a sofa. An enormous heap of flimsy pink and red doll clothes and plastic smiles, and arms sticking up as if they were stretching toward me for help. Where did you get those, I asked. They looked new. A friend of mine gave them to me, he said. He was going out of business. He had this real nice toy store, and he was going out of business. Did you steal them? I tried to think whether I'd seen anything in the register about a recent break-in at a toy store. Why would I steal them? Why do you want them? I said. Why do I want them? He pulled off the thin brown woolen gloves he was wearing and thrust his hand into the pile of doll arms and legs and bodies and chiffon, or whatever that thin scratchy cloth is they use. Don't you like them? And he straightened up and smiled at me as if he'd been showing me dirty pictures. They're great, I said. I was depressed. He waited, watching me, and finally I thrust my hand in too. I could feel the rough net of the ballerina cloth and the slippery cloth of their other clothes, and the hard, rounded plastic bodies and fake hair. My hand worked its way down among the dolls, and then I pulled it up. Cool, I said hesitantly, though I was a little sick to my stomach. But Denny had turned away. Take off your coat, he said quietly. I have to go. Take it off. I need to get back to Ida, I said. In a minute. I unzipped my jacket. I didn't want him to have anything to complain about. Denny had taken off his sweatshirt at some point, and I saw that he was wearing a white t-shirt. I saw it because he had turned his back and was fiddling with something on a table in the middle of the room. A round table with clutter on it. His back was hunched a little. He was a small man with a tense back, and from behind he looked young and questioning. The t-shirt was strange on such a cold day. His arms were thin. I think you better give me money, he said. Of course. What did you say? But I'd heard him. Except I wasn't certain. Maybe he had said something else, and my mind had changed it around. I saw what was on the table in front of him. Three things about the same size. A light bulb a black plastic thing that was probably the remote for a TV, and a gun. It was a small, squarish automatic. It looked like stainless steel. Denny was pushing the three things around on the table a little, moving first one, then another. Of course it could have been a toy gun, but it didn't look like a toy. I don't have much money, I said. Neither do I, he said. He let the light bulb roll and it rolled off the table and shattered on the floor. It was important to cheer him up, to get him friendly again, to get him talking about different things. But for a long time, I couldn't think of anything to say. I had a fight with my girlfriend today, I said at last, while I reached under my coat for my wallet. The blonde lady? I took my wallet out. All I had on me was a $10 bill. I put it on the table. You're giving me this. He said seriously, 
turning to face me again and putting it in his pocket. I'm not taking it. I'm asking for it. It's a present. Sure, I said. Anything. What did you fight about? I was too scared to make something up. I asked her what was the worst thing she ever did. What did you ask her that for? Denny moved closer to me and I stepped back and stiffened. But he didn't pick up the gun. What did you ask her something like that for? I don't know. It was a game, I said. Some game. What did she say? Well, see, she's a teacher. I wished I hadn't started this, but I didn't know what else to say. And she said she went to bed with a student's father. She did? A teacher? Wow, that's something. He said. Did she send home a note with the kid, or how did it start? I don't know, I said. You'd think she'd be afraid if the principal would find out she'd lose her job. I didn't think about that. Sure, man. That's a big thing to worry about, said Denny. You tell her, watch out, the principal could fire her just like that. He could walk into her room where she's teaching and say, lady, you're history. English, I said. What? She teaches English. Then I saw what he meant, and I laughed, but I felt stupid. Being scared you're going to die makes you stupid. I had a fight with her about it. I didn't think she should have done it. And right then, I thought, what if it doesn't work out for Ida and me? What if it doesn't? Since the day we started seeing each other, I was sure we'd get married and be happy forever. But now I was suddenly thinking, what if it doesn't work out? So she's glad she did it? Said Denny. No, I guess not, I said. So what did you fight about? I don't know, I said. Did she do it when you guys were already... Oh, no, I said. So you wanted her to save herself for you? No, it wasn't that. So what was it? I felt bad for the kid, I said. The guy's kid? Right. He considered. I could see that. He said. Do you love her? Of course I love her, I said. I love her. You can't imagine how much I love her. Even my girlfriend, hey, I gotta get over there. I gotta get you back to this lady. He put on the sweatshirt and gloves again. You gave me the money, right? Gave, because we're friends, brothers. Gave. I mean, if you need it, I'll give it back to you any time, just not tonight. Right, I said. The worst thing. You know what the worst thing I ever did was? By now we were walking down the stairs. He was ahead of me. What? I shot this guy, he said. And it was bad because he never did nothing to me. He was nice to me. He tried to help me out, and I shot him. Did he die? We were down in the street by now, walking side by side, like members of the same Boy Scout troop. I don't know, man. He got into the driver's seat of his car. I considered walking the mile or so back to Ida, in the snow, but it must have been zero out, and I was pretty sure the gun was upstairs. I got into the passenger seat. You love her? 
he said. I said yes. I mean love her. Of course I do. Of course. He made a three-point turn in the snow, and I was sure we'd get stuck. But we didn't. And as we faced this way, then that way, in the turning car, I felt as if we were turning to look at the vastness of my love. I loved Ida in every direction and in every object on that dark, wintry city block. Then Denny drove back the way we'd come, turned the corner into the route we'd left, and stopped the car when we got to the laundromat, right behind my car, which I was amazed to see there, as if I'd found it on the moon. Thanks for helping me dig out, he said. I could see Ida inside, moving around, stretching her arms wide. Folding, she was already folding. I got out and waved a little and closed the door and watched while Denny drove away. Then I went into the laundromat. Nobody was in there under the bright lights but Ida and an old woman. Dryers were turning and thumping, turning and thumping. Ida was slowly folding a sheet, and I recognized the sheet on which we'd made love that morning, light blue with dark blue flowers on it. She was holding it out as far as she could with both arms, as if she wanted to wrap me in it. Then she folded it once and folded it again. What took you so long? She said. She sounded tired, not angry. She sounded glad to see me. And another thing, said the old woman. I looked at her. She was a dignified old lady, not a bag lady or anything like that. She had on a coat with a fur collar and a fur hat on her white hair. I expected her to say, And another thing. You gave that fellow all your money. But instead... The old woman said, Another thing. When a lady refuses to give you a recipe for something delicious you've just eaten in her home, quite often it is for a surprising reason. Quite often there has been a disaster in the kitchen, and she has served the food anyway. You know. Probably you've done it yourself. You put the last spoonful of flour into the cake batter, and you see that there's a bug in it. The lady stared into an imaginary bowl of cake batter. You scoop out the bug. She acted it out. But you continue baking the cake. You don't throw out the batter. And when you receive compliments, you think that perhaps the cake was improved by bug urine. Now, haven't you ever done that? No, said Ida, looking at me and keeping her back to the old woman. Her face was red, and she was trying not to smile. I know it was because of the old woman. But she was smiling at me, too. I don't think I've ever done that, she said. Can't remember doing that. One of the dryers flopped a last time and settled. Well, if you're going to marry this gentleman and set up a household, said the old woman, while Ida crouched and opened the dryer and took out an armful of clothes. Sooner or later, you'll do it. We all do it sooner or later, right? She turned to me. Am I right? I was smiling hard at both of them. Sure, I said, hardly knowing what I was agreeing with. Right you are, I said, watching Ida stand up, her arms full of clean shirts and underwear, while socks fell to the floor on all sides of her.
This has been Last Wash by Alice Madison, first published in Boulevard, Volume 11.3. If you'd like to read this story and other great ones from our archives, check out the Boulevard Anthology at boulevardmagazine.org. You can also hear our other podcast episodes there and subscribe to receive new issues of the magazine. Voice acting in this episode provided by Kevin Anderson, Griffin Reed, Jacob Nelson, and Hal Graham. Music provided by Allison Satilli of Algae Dust. Produced and edited by Adam Bouts and Griffin Reed.